We've been conditioned to feel that we cannot be powerful and warrior and, and express ourselves physically. I think I exchanged it with actually hitting focus mitts for the first time and feeling that openness, that freedom to feel your own physical power, to know that I may not use this on anyone, but I know I have it and I claim it and I honor it and I'm going to express it. Welcome to Atomic Moms, a weekly parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our little ones and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and I celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, parenting experts, and caregivers all over the world in order to share their unique stories and the universal experience of raising a child. You can find us on our website, AtomicMoms.com, on social media, and also on iTunes. Subscribe so you can get a new episode every week. Hey, everybody. Um, thank you for all the messages last week about our episode with Maria Torpakai. Uh, I loved her memoir, A Different Kind of Daughter, The Girl Who Hid from the Taliban in Plain Sight. Yeah, you heard that right. She hid from the Taliban in plain sight. She pretended to be a boy. Um, she had this fire within her. Uh, she wasn't just going to stay indoors. Her parents helped her. And um, she dressed as a boy, pretended to be a boy beat up a lot of other boys uh, and got into sports. And the night before she left for America to play in an international squash tournament, she had a discussion with her father. And I feel like this episode today is an extension of their discussion because the night before she left, she knew that she would not be going back to Pakistan for a really long time. Uh, there had been so many death threats against her from the Taliban. And so when she asked her father, you know, what should she do when the, you know, what should she do when the tournament is over? Uh, I'll read this from the book. Her father said, this is the best day of your life, not the worst. It's only the worst if you see it through a lens of fear. And then he said to her, he said Bruce Lee called it having no limitation as a limitation. Okay. For the first time in my entire life, I am now interested in Bruce Lee. And so we're going to be talking about, we'll just, we'll call it warrior parenting. I want to know how I can raise my daughter to honor the fire inside of her and to stand up for herself, and also be at peace. So my guests today, Joanne Wabiska and Ed Monahan, um, I don't understand a lot of what is on their resume, but one thing is very clear. They are the very best at what they do. Joanne is a master martial artist and teacher. She became one of the first women in the U.S. to receive the coveted silver glove, which is the black belt equivalent in Boxe Francaise Savat. Uh, yeah, I'm sure I butchered that. Uh, and soon after, she got a world title. And for any mom out there who's thinking, ah, oh, I haven't found my thing, Joanne didn't start any of this until she was 35 years old. Her hubby, Professor Edward Monahan, he serves on faculty at UCLA's prestigious theater, film, and television school. He's also affiliated with UCLA's Mindful Awareness Research Center. In 2010, Ed was inducted into the USA Martial Arts Hall of Fame and voted Martial Arts Leader of the Year. See, guys, I like to bring in the most overqualified people 
uh, to teach me the very basics. And so together, he and his wife, Joanne, they run a multiple disciplinary movement and fitness center called Akata. And it's where families can train together and practice mindfulness. So, okay, guys, we're going to learn about mindfulness. We're going to find out a little bit about like what the heck is transcendental meditation. Uh, we're going to get you know, a mindfulness and martial arts 101 from the very best. So let's get grounded. Let's stay centered. Uh, let's listen to me ask questions about stuff I know nothing about. Let's get motivated to get focused and empowered with Ed and Joanne. We'll all be right back. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. You just press a little button. If you go to iTunes.com backslash Atomic Moms, you press a little subscribe button, then you can get all the new episodes. You have access to all of our old episodes. Next week's conversation is with Dr. Shafali Sabari, and we're going to be talking about her brand new book, The Awakened Family, A Revolution in Parenting. And I know Joanne and Ed are big fans of Dr. Shafali. Um, we have interviewed her in the past uh, we're big fans as well and also friends and man, it's a good one. So you don't want to miss next week's either. Okay, guys, now I'm serious. Get ready for this week's. Uh, it's going to be awesome with Joanne and Ed. Uh-oh, Joanne's taking her off her clothes. Oh, look at the, those are some beautiful arms. <laughs> I am sitting here with Ed and Joanne. Thank you guys so much for joining me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Good uh, to be here. You know, we hear the buzzword mindfulness, right? Just in the past, I'd say four years, it's become a word that is on every magazine cover every month. There's a something about mindfulness. Uh, and I became aware of it uh, shortly after my tumor surgery, because I was sitting around and I was like, I got to learn how to sit still because I'm going to lose my mind. And so I started looking into it then. And I remember bringing it up and people thinking I was a, kind of a weirdo. They're like, what mindfulness? Like, what is that? And now everyone's like mindfulness, mindfulness, mindfulness. Uh, what does mindfulness mean to you, Joanne? Ah, me first. Okay. Ladies first. Thank you. It means to me to be still, to go inward, to be quiet, to be as much as I don't want to be, uh, and not have an expectation on it, and to be able to just know that you give yourself permission to just be still and allow it to happen. Ed, when did mindfulness come into your life? Oh boy, when I was 11, so about 43 years ago, because I was forced to uh, meditate in karate. The idea behind mindfulness, as it's commonly understood now, has been largely developed. Uh, it started with John Cabot Zinn, who's a researcher that developed MBSR, uh, movement based stress reduction, as a, as a means by which people can um, alleviate stress. It was sort of a, a codified system that was based on uh, a structure that comes from Theravada uh, Buddhism. And um, he did that <clears> like <throat> in the late 70s. Mm -hmm. sort of mm -hmm. And so yeah, really in, in uh, yeah, there's three divisions of meditation. Uh, you have mindfulness practice, concentration-based meditation, contemplative practice. So they're essentially divided into three broad categories like that. Mindfulness practice has to do with being in the moment 
experiencing each moment, each beat as it occurs without judgment and an open sense of curiosity. I'm sure most of our listeners keep hearing about is either, you know, Zen meditation or transcendental meditation. Where do those two So Zen meditation, commonly referred to as Zazen in most practices, which is sitting meditation, is a form of, it's counting the breath. So it's observing the breath just the same way as you do in mindfulness practice and with the sensory stimuli being the primary focus. And then one counts the breath, one through ten. And then as our mind kind of floats away, we just gently guide it back to the breath and then back to the count. And we'll forget where we are sometimes. So you just start back at one again. And um, and then TM is a mantra-based practice. So the idea behind the mantra is that we've been doing it yeah, for... Yeah, we started in 1997, uh, the mantra. It was a yeah. birthday gift to me. I wanted to do it. You guys are the trailblazers. Well, we didn't um, think so at the time when, when we were doing it in 97 because it was just so around... Was it, I don't know anything about transcendental meditation. Was it, I mean, does that also, like I know Vipassana, which is mindfulness. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think of Vipassana as as mindfulness meditation. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so that goes back thousands of years and it's it's Buddhism, Mm -hmm. right? That's Theravada Buddhism. Vipassana because it starts with VIP. So I feel really special, even though I know it's not what you're supposed to be thinking (laughs) when you're meditating. But transcendental meditation has... Does that have, I mean, obviously it all goes back to the beginning, but did somebody in particular come up with it? Well, I mean, that particular band, uh, Maharishi Mm -hmm. Mahesh Yogi, was responsible for disseminating that to the West via the Beatles. I mean, that was the big thing in the late 60s. Got it. But, you know, this is a very old tradition that emanates from India, as most of them do. And um, the mantra meditation in that context is based on a series of sounds that are sounds that come from Sanskrit and there's no associated meaning with the sound. Mm -hmm. So the sound itself being the point of focus leads one to create a sense of resonance and the sound leads one to create a merger of that sound with one's own consciousness, which in turn integrates with the universal consciousness. So this sense of oneness, unity, begins to burgeon out from each individual. So there's there's this connection. Right. What happens when you say the mantra, it's been said a thousand, for thousands of years. So it already has this wonderful energy that you connect with, and it creates and resonates. So you make that connection, as you said, with oneness. But... Um, it is pretty much these wonderful sounds come from nature. And because they're said with this love and repetition, as soon as you connect it with individually or as a group, you're connecting with that whole, the past with you. It's pretty powerful when you think of it that way. Are you, a, are you able to say what one of the mantras is? There are a whole variety. And they're... And- they are with the practitioners, the teachers of TM in particular, they're trained in a very specific method by which those are selected and given to the mm-hmm. students and uh, for different phases of life and uh, places where they are. And that's all carefully assessed by the teachers. Um, uh, so, so you know, if I were to say a, a mantra, right. it wouldn't necessarily apply to you or to whoever's right. listening. It would be 
it's very much individualized. That's why the TM teachers, you yeah, have to go to them. Yeah, you have to go to them to And you're it's actually a, custom and design or creating a mantra for you. Or if you have these certain imbalances that are going on, they will create or they will find from practice of thousands of years of doing these mantras that this one would fit for you because of your imbalance. Mm-hmm. And so they see a whole holistic point of view of you, and then they give you that. I know that the University of Wisconsin-Madison, they have a mindfulness-based curriculum for four-year-olds, and it's called a kindness curriculum. And so I was wondering if you guys could speak a little bit about what mindfulness can do for children or what, you know, I'm sure it fosters the same thing as in children as it does adults, but but why moms and dads out there should consider you know, introducing this at such a young age? Well, at first, let's answer it by saying it's very important that the entire family do it, that the parents are doing it, because that's passed on stress. You know, if the parents are really connecting with that, then you know organically, naturally, the child will acclimate and feel that, that, that bond, that feeling of safe, that feeling of, of being present, because the parents are working from that place. Hmm. And very important, out of all our time with children, we would safely say in facts (laughs) and experience that the parents so need to be on board Hmm. and part of walking the talk. That is so relevant. And honestly, you can talk about programs for children until the cows come home, but if it's not being practiced... It's, it's do as I say and not as I do. And, and it makes an enormous impact. It's so, huge yeah. to see that um, the uh, importance that parents put on what their children are learning, that they're included in that. And they're expanding and growing as well. And then. Do you ever, feel, do you ever notice parents that are like, well, you know, Katy Perry does transcendental meditation, so and I want my kid to have good things on her application for middle school, so I'm going to drop her off at the mindfulness class. Well, I'm going to not, not be it. mindful at all. Like, do you oh, absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely, yeah, all the time. So, uh, part of our journey is to initiate people into the practice. And a lot of times what you'll get, particularly with us, is that people have heard that because most of our physical practice is rooted in martial arts, people have heard that karate is great for kids. And um, we don't even do karate. But most people are not even aware of the distinction between this martial art, that martial art, whatever it is. I am so not. Yeah, it makes sense. And why would you be? But. All they know is I've heard it's good for self-discipline. I've heard it's good for self-esteem. It's good for exercise. So I'm going to dump Johnny off because he's a wild child and he needs some discipline. I'm going to go do my grocery run and I'm going to go hit the uh, Pilates and I'll be back in two hours. You got him managed? Mm -hmm. And uh, then expect Johnny to be magically better in Mm -hmm. with two classes a week. Whereas 
it's a lifestyle integration. It's not something where it's a, it's a skill set that they learn like a memorized pattern of movements. It's a way that you approach life. Okay. So let's say there's a mom listening right now in Kansas and she's going, Oh crap, that's me. I got my Johnny. How, what would you say to her so that she can integrate it more into the family's overall well, the lifestyle. first the first thing is you got to make sure you're not going to a place that's like Rex Quando out of uh, Napoleon Dynamite, <laughs> but <laughs> because you're not going to get any um, any mindfulness with that. Uh, the, it, the key is the key the key is the place. So uh, most people in that world that are in the karate martial arts, all that thing, or MMA that yeah. are just about teaching your child to fight. Uh, is n- not incorporating mindfulness, or f- uh, before even mindfulness, we'd call it the philosophy. Yeah, you you get that much more in traditional martial arts, um, where there is this built-in manifestation of humility, respect, kindness, um, empathy. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's awareness the, that's of the nature primary and your surroundings. Focus. More so. Uh, so you'll, you'll be able to gauge that by the demeanor of the people who are leading the business or the facility because <clears throat> they'll just exude those qualities. What is it about martial arts or the idea of fighting? Or I remember there are certain physical exercises for me. I remember one time I was working out with a partner at the gym and he put a rope around my waist and I was supposed to be like running, right? And he's pulling on me and I started crying. And I'd like to talk for a moment about that, the sort of emotional connection to physicality and the fear behind that, because I think that keeps a lot of us from saying, you know what, I'll try martial arts because we know, I think a lot of women know that if we start or or boxing or anything physical that exudes strength, that if we start punching that bag, we're afraid we're going to like crack or there's like, there's some, there's a sadness connected to it. Let me start with this and then let her take off with it because she started when she was 35 and became a world champion when she was 45. So uh, she's a great example to be speaking from experience. Um, the, the path and the method by which we learn about peace through conflict is because of yin and yang. Uh, we, we have no perception of one without the other. So through conflict, we learn resolution of conflict. It's just like through pain we grow. It's the same principle. The idea of understanding that level of conflict and crisis and experiencing that on an emotional level while still being able to maintain a peaceful mind state, eye of the hurricane, that says a lot about psychological conditioning and uh and then through that conflict, everyone recognizes that through conflict, who has been in conflict, that not having conflict is better. So through your experience, you find peace and you recognize that peace is the far superior path. So this allows you to practice that in a safe environment where you're not going to go out and get killed, but you have the same emotional experience because it, it doesn't differentiate if you something's swinging at your head. 
Right. Physiologically, it's it's still, still, yeah, it's still fear. And, and you learn how to overcome that. So that's the historical basis. So I, I think Joanne can speak from a lot of experience with this because, you know, she went to Bulgaria and fought five times in 24 hours and, and, uh, you know, it's a scary experience when you do that. Well, it, it again, it's sport art. It's a sport, and and you have rules. Uh, it's That's v- different from somebody. It's very very at you. different when you're in danger and fear of your life, of course. You know, so those let's keep th- mm-hmm. that's they're separate and and um, I could go two ways with sharing with this. I could certainly say uh, my experience, but as a teacher, pass this on to children and to teens. They they are uh, learning through mindfulness, martial arts, be with respect, but they're still, as we call it, they're heightened in a situation uh, by exchanging and stirring, and we call it the fire. And the fire requires respect. That's why we bow in between. That's why we touch gloves. That's why we give eye contact, because we will wake up the fire, and we're going to have the fire awake, but we have to really respect the fire as we exchange and learn how to be in this place of um, working the, the, the physics and the art of striking back and forth, yes? Controlled so, conflict. Controlled conflict. But they're, so they're aware that we can stir the emotions up, and that fire wakes up. It's what, what do you do with it when you're heightened? And that's when they learn to be with it in play and with respect. I want to jump in for a moment because I think that that's also something for women that that's difficult because our fire has not uh, been fired. We've not been allowed to have our fire. So we haven't been able I to agree. acknowledge that we can control it. I mean, it always goes back to frozen for me, but like <laughs> Elsa had her fire and she wasn't allowed to express her fire. So she had no control over her fire. Completely. And so when I have been triggered in the past with that idea of like punching a bag to be able to own that strength, there's always something, there's like a little hiccup or there's a space between that I think I will continue to, work through because and I know I'm not the only one there's so I mean I think it's a lot of women who aren't physical at all because they know there's there's something there's a spirit thing or a psychological thing there we've been conditioned it's not our our um, birthright it's not it's it's been conditioned on us to feel that we cannot be powerful and warrior and, and express ourselves physically so how did you first tap into that? Is it is it PC or is it okay to say like the male that male energy? You can say male energy, sure, right? Absolutely. How did you tap into your male energy? Um, I always had a feist about me and a survival mode, um, and I never. I always wanted to move like Bruce Lee. I found him to be this incredible way he fought, the way he had a command of his body. I was in awe when I was 13 seeing his movies. And you studied under one of his protégés. Yes, his teacher, his students, absolutely. I was so fortunate. So at that time in, in my life, at being 13, and everyone was getting on the bank and wanted to do martial arts, which, of course, why not? And they, of course, saw the, the TV series um, – Kung Fu, that it was such the craze. It was so like Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee. I mean, even though more so now, but uh, they weren't moving like Bruce for me. So I put it aside and literally did not 
fight or do any form of martial arts or boxing until I was 35. And what was brought to my attention was I had a temperament or a feist that someone said, I think you should look into some kickboxing or martial arts. And my brother, younger than me, was definitely a practice of martial arts uh, through since he was a young boy and he was now going to music school. So we did this together. And I connected that way. I had not known until I was exchanging ex- um, hits, if you will, with focus mitts, that I had a fire that I liked, that I woke up. I used to have to peel them apart. Uh, I would say, brother. <laughs> but I, 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 would, I would not say that my brother and I would, I did, uh-huh. I, I, I think I exchanged it with actually hitting focus mitts for the first time mm. and feeling that that openness, that freedom to feel your own physical power. It was so empowering to know that I may not know, I may not use this on anyone, but I know I have it and I claim it and I honor it and I'm going to express it. And it's very powerful. Not in a power over someone, but a power within that something changes your energy and who you are when you walk anywhere that you, when anyone looks at you, you just have this exude this energy that I know, don't mess with me. I'm cool. I'm not showing like a badass look. I'm not showing anger or rage. I just have a sense about my, which is number one self-defense, is awareness. Let, and and you also, give yourself permission to have that power. Yeah, and, and just also to be clear, you're not going to do that with kickboxing aerobics. It's just not something that's going to happen. You have to actually learn the real thing. Yes. Okay, so which real thing would a mama want to look into first? Okay, well, so I have... I, I mean, have, there's a million, I'm sure. But just yeah. give it... You got to give us something. Because they're going to be like, what are you... Okay. I'm in the... What am I supposed to do? I want to light my fire. <laughs> um, and I don't live in Valencia, so I can't come to Akata. What do I do? It is important to find the teacher. I mean, not me. I'm speaking for my listeners. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. It's important to find the teacher that... And I've been uh, very fortunate. Because if you can be led into a very... Uh, male, young energy of doing it that could really shut oneself. Because mm-hmm. so many of my um, female uh, fighting friends, if you will, um, partners, they would work themselves up with rage to fight. And uh, this is an example of one. Um, when we were in our peak of fighting and getting ready, and one of my team players was in tears. She says, how do you get yourself to fight? I'm just so exhausted to get myself in this rage. And I, I, my eyes bugged. I, 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 by, I'm the contrast of that. I said, I, I, I come in with joy. I come in with excitement. I'm going to get hit, but it doesn't, it doesn't come across that I have to dislike the person I'm exchanging hits with, that I have to find reason to hate them. I find reason to honor them. Like let's play. It's fun. Even though we're exchanging, we're having fun. That's, that's sport art for me. And if you can, and that requires, I mean, if you can keep with that spiritual part of it and that honoring part of it, then it's honorable back and forth and it's touche and you're exchanging and you're respecting each other and you're being the best you can be because that's what you can do to give to another athlete or another fighter. Back to where to find it. I was fortunate it found me, or I was looking for it, and I lined up with very fortunate, wonderful teachers. Do your research and study what place is going to be close to honoring a philosophy or mindfulness, and they're out there. Traditionally, they are indeed out there. And begin with that. Okay. Yeah, so 
you have to look and see what's in your area. Right. And that then, would be a first step. Yeah. <laughs> And then, uh, because it's a bit nebulous. I mean, uh, you know, MMA is MMA is the big thing. It is. Okay, MMA and you're not is, into it. MMA is tough because uh, it depends on the teacher. It okay. entirely depends on the teacher. You see, teacher. now we could talk about MMA, and you could say that Bruce Lee was the granddaddy of MMA. What's different from MMA and other arts that are doing that, which is just, well, it's just kicking and punching and fighting, is that Bruce always had the philosophy you had to be, you would have to, he would turn away great athletic people that could fight that didn't have the integrity. He wouldn't teach you. It's dangerous. So that's important to know that what's different from, and that's what you're looking for, that integrity, that philosophy, that, that respect, that exchange, and a woman coming in to know that you are an equal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate to know that my surroundings, and I'm around majority of men, and I, I don't think if there was any man that considered me not an equal as a woman, they didn't stick around too long. Yeah. I was always, and I still teach men and in my one-on-one t- students and my students that are men, there is an equalness and a respect that they're learning something from me. Or you'll kick their ass. I could do that, yes. <laughs> uh, with, with the children that come to your center... Oh. What are some of the things that you've seen? Like, how have the children grown? Like, how do you, can you think of one particular kid that you're like, wow, he came in like a hurricane or she came in like a hurricane. And now, you know, her school is, her schooling situation is turned around or the way that she interacts with other people. Because it seems like, you know, it's what you do in the class it obviously affects every other area of your life that you, like you guys were saying before. Um, I notice, uh, I'm going to share one beautiful thing that just happened in my yoga class on Wednesday. And it's not easy to do mindfulness meditation yoga for majority kids because they're getting comfortable in some children feels they're just not comfortable being in their body and feeling that's good they're they're aligning they're 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 wiggly they just they're not comfortable being in their body so after my class one of my students logan he's 10 years old going on 11 he's on the spectrum he's been with us now two years a year and a half two years he came up says sifu which means teacher in chinese he said i've never had this experience before but i could hear and feel everything while I was being still in my my meditation or my mindfulness. And then when we went into poses, I could really feel everything. And he said, you know, I don't think I've ever experienced that before. Mm. And he literally said that to me. I said, you're on the right path. That's beautiful. As a young guy, very young guy. Now that's cool. That was a gift. That is so cool. Isn't that mm-hmm. cool? And you have tears in your eyes. Uh, yes, because mm. it was really, wow. Because when you look at your class after we do, when we finish, we go, namaste. And you're like, they're like ready to go to the next, like, let's get out of here. And we've done enough being still and doing these poses. And, and, but you, and then you have these others will come up and tell you your experience, their experience, excuse me. And then you have others. This is another example. Now that's the yoga. And they go, well, okay, what about this martial arts? I teach kids to go in the ring and to exchange hits and this is another example of one who's the gentlest, little, lovely, gentle spirit boy. 
who is always mindful and caring about how he's making sure that no one's getting hurt when he exchanges. Mm-hmm. But it's holding his, his, his holding him back. He mm-hmm. thinks too much. So I had him to overcome that by helping him through it and getting him excited. He broke through something in the ring, and he had, he had the tears, but he overcame something. It wasn't that he was being hit or being hurt. He was overcoming, just giving himself permission to be not thinking about it and worrying about it, just be it. And holding himself back. He was you know, holding that's himself the back, and you that's know, the worst part. self-imposed barriers. Yes, a consideration. He broke through that. Yeah, and the, especially the concern for other people that are perfectly fine. And so many mothers, we could use that lesson that you're talking about that this little boy learned, like this idea, because we're always trying to take care of other people even when they don't mm. need taken care of. Absolutely. And we're, we're holding ourselves back because we're yes. afraid, what are we... We should respect that these other individuals in our lives are fully capable. I mean, not our children when they're mm-hmm. young, but a lot of moms, like we have these weird codependency issues. And we want to mm-hmm. take care the of boundaries. everybody, but they don't need it. Don't. So let's step into our power and do what we need to do and trust that they can accept what we're giving them and give it right back. Exactly. And how we do that is... Um, I would say to anyone that has a consideration like that, you are benefiting and making your fellow student better by g- you giving them the best you can so they can have a better defense response. Yeah, let them rise to the occasion. Yes, mm-hmm. they will rise to the occasion because they're going to be better because you're giving your best to them. And they go, ah. So those are my two, This that was my week this week. Whoa, that's just a week. I thought that was like a year of lessons. That's a week. <laughs> no, not a week of them doing it, but my week. That's, that's what a, I that a day in a life with me, that's being with I my mean. kids. That's crazy. You're getting a lot out of this. I personally, yes, that's personally, amazing. I do. Um, wow, and you didn't even start fighting until your thirties. Five, yeah, thirty-five. So all those parents out there that are like, I haven't found my fire. I haven't found my light. <laughs> the <laughs> thing that is gonna. Give, I'm going to give and it's going to give back to me that you were 35 when you started this path. Yes. That is so beautiful. And here's the important thing to remember about all of this is that that's one path. Yes. So Gong Fu, when you hear that, so Kung Fu, like the yeah, TV I'm, series. Yeah. Right, that, I'm glad that you just does, said what it, because I didn't recognize it the way you just there, first said it. Right? <laughs> That doesn't mean martial arts. You mean art. like Kung Fu Panda? That's like what Kung I know. Kung Fu Panda, that's right. So that doesn't mean martial art. Okay, what does it mean? Kung Fu means skill. It Ooh, means skill that's skill. developed over time with care and consideration. So that can be, you can have Kung Fu in gardening. You can have Kung Fu in, in baking. You can have Kung Fu in art, whatever it is. But again, the way in which you approach your individual path is ultimately what leads to these revelations. So one of my Tibetan teachers said that there are many paths up the mountain, but they ultimately lead to the same destination. That's beautiful. That's going to be our... we Okay, so every podcast, or most podcasts, we have a mom bomb Hashtag mom bomb. It's like <laughs> a thing that Atomic Mom's mom bomb. It's like a, a message that is inspiring or lights a fire is a kick in the butt. So that will be our one for this week. Nice. Um, can we speak for a moment? We're running out of time, but I want to speak to you about your UCLA Mindful Awareness Research Center 
affiliation Mm -hmm. and about your research with ADD and ADHD and movement. So this was initiated um, when my son was diagnosed with Tourette's when he was eight. And um, he would sit in class with pronounced motor and vocal tics that were really ostracizing him from the rest of the population. You know how kids are. They make fun and, you know, he was feeling really alienated by it. And um, the first thing that the pediatrician wanted to do was put him on clonidine, which is a uh, adult hypertension med. And there was no long-term research, and I was not comfortable giving my permission to have him put on that. So um, I took him to every study that was running. I took him to a couple at UCLA, tried to work a variety of different therapeutic interventions to see if it would help. Nothing really worked. Tried relaxation tapes and this and that and the other thing. And um, finally, as a last result, I think you recommended, my wife, we had an acupuncturist in West LA. It's a lady from Shanghai. And Joanne suggested that I speak with her about James. And uh, so I did. And she said, well, I have a cousin or a nephew in, in Shanghai that I treated with good results. So bring him down and give it a try. You'll know four or five sessions if it's going to work or not, which I thought was a very fair uh, assumption. And so I bribed my kid and then told him I'd give him 10 bucks if he went down to get poked because he wasn't too thrilled about but, the idea yeah, of right. getting, you know, needles. And, but, you know, that, that love of cash overcame that fear. So... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, conscious bribing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like he was eight, so 10 bucks was a big deal. Yeah. And, um, and so we, he went down and, uh, five sessions, the symptoms 98% abated. I mean, poof, gone and remarkable. Uh, and wow. so, what uh, did you go back to that doctor? Well, so here's the thing. I, I, I had a conference with the school psychologist, with the principal, with the teacher, where they were all looking at me like I was the evil father because I didn't want to put the kid on medication. And um, when I went back and the symptoms were so noticeably decreased, everybody looked at me like, yeah, well, you know, we'll see. Instead of, isn't this great that this kid, yeah. you know, had this re- response? Uh, so, uh, you know, I think it's just in- indicative of a larger systemic issue. And, uh, but regardless, uh, he, he, we just kept taking him back and we'd get him poked every time he'd have a hormonal surge and, mm. and it would, the symptoms would recur. Uh-huh. And he made it all the way through his adolescence without taking anything. Wow. So there you go. Now, this led me down a path to recognizing that there are alternative means by which children can regulate their attentive states. And uh, so in my journeys on the faculty committee, I met, uh, they were just starting the Mindful Awareness Research Center in 2005. And I met the founder, Sue Smalley, who connected me with a neuroscientist whose name is Siggy Hale. And Siggy used to do martial arts. And so we started 
connecting and talking, talking. And I devised a series of programs and, and exercises that integrated kinesthetic learning. What I devised is a series of drills that are basically hidden inside martial arts stuff. Oh, that's so cool. And so you give them cues. And, and this is for children with yeah, ADHD. Kids, adults, whatever. Mm-hmm. And or everybody's learning. Yes. Everybody's learning. Not just if no. you have a... Right. Because it increases disorder. all of us. Right. And nobody knows they're doing it. It's just part of the protocol. Mm-hmm. And In the study. Right. Got it. Yeah. And in our exercises and what we do at our school. Mm-hmm. So what this begins to do is it facilitates this idea of cross-patterning, which is basically right brain, left brain communication and learning. And it allows for movement to be the catalyst for this mindful expression because if anybody who has a ADHD kid knows that making that kid sit down to contemplate their navel is just not going to happen. They're not going to do it. So even if you sit with them, they're going to go, <laughs> right now what I'm doing is I'm wiggling around and batting my eyes and making expressive sighing noises. So if you have one of those kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> and they're not going to do it. So entrenching them in a movement where their focus is gained through the use of that game, through the use of that physical expression, so that the kids learn this attentiveness through movement. And then for short bursts, we sit them still practicing zazen, which is counting the breath, feeling the breath, so that they, they learn eventually. Now it takes time. You know, and here's the thing. None of this is a quick fix. Mm -mm. And they're all concomitant based on other conditions in their lives that that you have to create a support structure. So the whole thing of it takes a village, right? If you've got one activity that's great for attentiveness and focus and is supportive of a mindful environment, but then all of the other environments and activities surrounding that child are chaos, it's not going to work. you got to have buy-in. You've got to, as a parent, you've got to put aside your own defensiveness and recognize that we carry stuff. And when somebody says, hey, maybe I should consider doing this because I might learn something instead of, no, I've just got too much to do, too busy. Take the workshop. Stop. Slow down. Read the book. Take it in. Because there's, there's stuff that we're not even aware of. You know, we tell our adult students that be aware when they come in, we do this whole mindful fitness is our whole perspective. And the first thing I do with everybody when they sit down with a consultation is I say, be ready because your subconscious is going to object. It's going to try to sabotage your efforts to change the patterns that are entrenched. And it takes the shape of, oh, I'm too busy. I can't meditate. I don't have time for that. It's just a waste of time. I can't, oh. yeah, <laughs> You're really good at that. Yeah, well, you know, I've done it enough myself. <laughs> but that's that is our subconscious mind that's trying to interfere with that does not want to change. The ego that doesn't, the ego want, doesn't to want to change. The ego yeah. doesn't want to not have the ego. It's that's just uh, self preservation for the ego. Sure, sure. So you have to tell that ego, sit down, shut up, and that's where that's where. And the, I accept and love you. Yeah, well, that's where sometimes not. That's where, <laughs> that's that's where the the warrior, 
that's where that fire that Joanne was talking about, that comes into play because it's not all touchy-feely, mamby-pamby. It's sometimes you got to tell it to sit down shut up. There's a time to be strong. So you have to recognize that balance. That's part of it. Well, the best way to do it is, is um, not to go there. When you feel it coming, mm. you, and it's that's the hard part. It's like you, you, you. When you feel the ego coming, you feel yeah. like you want to be either negative or bring on uh, a sabotage, or you just don't want to. You, you just, you just don't go there, and you learn how to go and and mm-hmm. think of recognize rec- it, recognize it, and then can link it to what the feel good go in the other direction. Mm. That's really important. The emotion. What do you mean? The, feel the emotion. Good. The emotion of of feeling good, or a sense of accomplishment, a sense of uh, how I will feel, uh, succeedingly doing the very thing, like the meditation. Link it to something of feeling good. So Buddhists refer to this as the antidote to the poisons of the mind. Yes, feeling and, good. And a lot of people interpret that as it basically means doing the opposite. So. If I'm feeling anger and aggression, I do something that's loving and kind. But it doesn't mean that it comes from a disingenuous place. It's like slapping on the happy face and pretending mm. as if and shoving. It's like that little, uh, you know, thing. I get the mm. biggest kick out of this. My son, he loved Legos when he was little, and he told us to watch the Lego movie. And I'm not big on cartoons, so but I did watch it at some point for some reason. And... <laughs> there's this little uh, unicorn that, that she has this little um, girl voice and she says, um, you just put your emotions and you smash them down, down, down. And then she just explodes <laughs> and like, you know, her little unicorn thing uh-huh. kind of explodes and goes crazy. So that's not what you're trying to We're do. Not- <laughs> you're not trying to stuff it. What she's referring to is this idea of creating an emotional connection to the opposite. So the feeling state is what engenders that response, not just pretending as if, just acting like you're nice. Although but, I have to say, sometimes like there are studies that show that pretending that it, you can yeah, yeah. manifest Fake it. Fake it till you make it. Yeah, I mean, if you just... Force well, yourself to smile, like you will start well, feeling the, a little the, bit. Well, but, but I hear what you're saying, that but, it isn't about stuffing, it's not repressing, it's about acknowledging it and choosing the other. We do this exercise opposite. with the kids. Feel, feel an anger thought with a smile. Can't do it. These beautiful <laughs> muscles mm-hmm. cannot. Hey, they've done Botox studies. I've never done Botox. Um, but they've done Botox studies where uh, women have less worry and anxiety if they've had Botox because they can't make the frown face. And so the frown face creates, it's that loop. That's why that amazing TED Talk had like a billion watches, views. That would be the word. It had a billion watches, guys. <laughs> you know, the whole idea of like, you know, standing and you put your arms up and out like a big bear. Yeah, and yeah. You can feel like you have more power and presence I, I can't tell you how many times um yesterday i recorded an interview and it was at this like swanky building and uh i ran into the bathroom and i was like i'm gonna do the power stance i'm gonna put my arms up and out i'm gonna feel big i'm gonna feel my breath in my back and on my sides i'm gonna breathe deep and i'm gonna take up space and um for Moms, just do that today. Like when you're when you're 
done with work or just take a moment. Like if you're listening to this in the office, step out of your chair and change your physicality and see how you feel. The other day I was going on a jog and I was like, I hate running right now. This is so boring. I started skipping like an idiot and I couldn't stop laughing. And I was like, skipping is so much fun. Mm, So like, mm. just change it up. Um, We have, our body is this beautiful instrument and we neglect it. Mm. And then we have these like, the stress and tension in our necks and in our shoulders. And then that, that ends up telling us that we don't feel good. And then, so then we're cranky. And then that creates the loop where we end up punched over and feeling cranky. And if we can break out, just get that heart rate up. Just do something different today. Um, it's crazy how we can shift um, our inner life by just physical moving. expression. Physical mm-hmm. expression. expression is the gateway to mental and spiritual health. Amen. Okay. That's, that's actually our mission that's our, statement. That's our Amen. mission statement. That's perfect. Well, thank you guys so much for coming today. Thank you. Our pleasure. Listeners, subscribe on iTunes, itunes.com backslash Atomic Moms. Leave us a review if you enjoyed this episode. Uh, find us on social media at Atomic Moms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Trust in your goodness. Live out your greatness. Rock on. Atomic Moms. Thank you.